Yeah, so let's start. Julian, how are you? I'm good. It's been a busy Sunday morning, and now I'm finally sitting, so it's uh, it's good. And how are you? Uh, not bad. Uh, had a very different uh, Sunday morning my side. So been a very busy morning. It's gonna be. It's been a very busy week. I think the next two weeks are also gonna be hectic. Yeah, but I think if you've never met Julian, I think the first thing that you'll probably say when you see this guy, um, I'll put his Instagram handle down at the bottom for the show notes. But damn, this is a big guy. <laughs> and um, but with that, where are you originally from? Because obviously, I think when I saw you, when I came to the Netherlands, when I first looked at you, I was intrigued. And I thought, well, to myself, first thing that came to mind was like, well, this guy is not Dutch. Not in a bad way or anything like that, but just because of, I won't say your size, but I was just like, this guy's African or something like that. I didn't know what the idea was. And I tried to do a bit of research just to find out where your surname's from, if you maybe originally know your roots and stuff like that, but maybe you do, and I'm just not aware. But yeah, where are you from? Now, I'm from uh, St. Martin. That's an island in the Dutch Antilles, so it's a Dutch Caribbean island. Mm. Um, it's nowhere close to Holland, but uh, they uh, colonized us, so that's why we're Dutch Caribbean. <laughs> um, we are right. Uh, my island specifically is right under, um, yeah, a little bit under Miami. So we speak English as uh, our first tongue. Um, yeah, and I've uh, been up here for about um, 12 years now. So it's uh, yeah, it's still funny to, to no, it's kind of cool still to see or to hear that when you saw me, you could still see that I was not from Holland because I'm not. So it's uh, always good to still have your your identity. Yeah. No, I think, but it's maybe it's a bad assumption to think or, but it's technically speaking, I would say, maybe accurate to think that most African people which are not found in Africa originally somehow went from Africa or came from Africa. And yeah, yeah. so obviously I, I'm not too sure of your roots and stuff like that. Not that it matters or anything like that, but my best guess is that I think somewhere along the line, Congo, just because of your size and your height. <laughs> <laughs> That could be possible. I mean, I never look back in my roots. I never looked my roots up that far back to um, find out beyond my island. But I mean, yeah, I'm dark skinned, so uh, I'm black, so I, it, the chances are huge. <laughs> <laughs> and um, your island, so you obviously grew up on the island, right? Yep. And with that now, was sort of sport um, something that was quite big, or what were the big sports, I guess, in St. Martin? Because I don't think I have heard of it until I met you um, in terms of a location or place that existed. But yeah, just let us know about the island. Was sport a big thing, I guess, where you grew up, and what specifically would, would you say are the main sports in St. Martin? Um, when I was growing up, um, I, I, the main sport was basketball, I think. Main sport for me was basketball because, um, yeah, at a certain age, I had like a basketball rim. I bought my father bought like one of those little ones you could like uh, uh, place on the doors uh, for little kids and stuff like that. And that was actually my favorite sport. They built it in my backyard. But later on, I found out that, um, you know, our island does have a, a baseball team as well, a soccer team. But I think out of all the different sports that basketball was um, played outside of the island the most. So you could actually travel 
to play basketball. Even at, at a certain time, you could travel to Holland, you know, and play on a on a more national level. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say back then basketball was a sport, and we're pretty and we're a pretty um, sport oriented island. So yeah, sports are for us very important. We have track and field. Actually, almost all the sports that you can play on a warmer climate. So no ice hockey, but um, <laughs> <laughs> practically all the sports for a warmer island. You know, for a warm climate, we play and we kind of play it on a on a national level. So we do travel to play sports as well. Okay. Were you playing basketball on sort of a national level or at some point did you decide, well, it's not for me? Um, I played basketball on a, yeah, on a national level. I never traveled with, with basketball. It was never that good. So, um, uh, yeah, I played with some of the, the guys who were that good, but I never got like, like on a team to travel with them to play any uh, competitions. But later on, I did start uh, volleyball and volleyball. I think our team was like one of the first teams from our generation to play volleyball on um, on the islands again because it died down after a while. And we brought it back to the islands. And because of that, yeah, on that one, I was on a team that traveled and uh, <laughs> didn't have much choice. <laughs> But in terms of sport now, would it be something that your school promoted or was it like similar to the Netherlands where you join a club and then you play? Um, no, N to be honest, not neither of the two. Mm. Yeah, um, on my island, you know, certain people got to like play uh, sports outside of school if their parents had enough money. Mm. But for me personally, a lot of people around me um, we played sports just after school, like we would just go home, eat something and or we would go down on the road and play some basketball by one of the open um, yeah, hoop areas. Or at a certain point, my family bought, built a basketball rim for, for me in my backyard and then everybody would come to my house to play basketball. And then my grandmother would cook food for everybody, mostly against her will, you know, but everybody was there, so she would just cook it anyway. <laughs> yeah, feed all the neighborhood kids. So, you know, it's just like, um, yeah, it was more of an after-school activity that you just found a place on the street and you did it. Okay. No, the reason I asked it is that I think when I came to the Netherlands, I saw that the sporting system was quite different, so... How it happens in South Africa is that most people will play sport at school. So I played my squash and my hockey for my school. And they actually arrange, so everyone had the opportunity to travel actually for sport because you go play against other schools. So my school as Queen's College, we would go play against a school in East London, which is two hours away. You know, like the whole school gets down, you take and go into a bus. They've obviously got a first team, second team. There's, it's, it's so organized in terms of levels. So... I can just maybe speak of a high school because it's the same thing is done in the junior school or primary school where you've got a, what do you call it, um, under 14 team, under 16 team. Then you get obviously the open division, which is obviously 17 year olds and upwards, where you'd have that for different sports. So before rugby, if you've ever seen rugby, um, for squash, like I played, for hockey, um, something I played. And obviously you try and make the school team and with the school team, you play against other teams. After that, 
um, not that you, I wouldn't call them scouts, but you would get trials to go play for your province or your state. So like Overracel, you'd have a Overracel team or Groningen team. And that whole province, basically, they take the best players from all the schools. You make that team and then you go play against other states or provinces. And then from that tournament, they're scouts. Or it depends if the individual sport itself, obviously, you have a playoffs or if there's scouts there that would pick players to make the national team. So it's a bit different with you guys. I wouldn't say you guys, specifically the Netherlands, when Imola was explaining to me to say sort of like, yeah, if you wanted to play a sport, you join a club and the club will sort of facilitate that thing to say, well, how do you get from here to the next national level? Whereas for, for, for where I grew up or here in South Africa, you don't really do that unless it's not a school sport. So you did get people who joined clubs, teams, club teams, but it was for stuff, let's say, like for a gymnastics, you join a gymnastics club, but not every school has gymnastics. Um, so I, it, it always intrigues me um, just to find out specifically if I speak to someone which didn't grow up in South Africa to find out, well, what exactly is the whole sporting system like there? Now, okay, from from our sporting system in my on my island, um, okay, uh, as far as um, basketball, I'll try to I, I think basketball, judo, and maybe certain um, fight sports. Mm. You would have like a different um, school or a, a teacher in any case, because sometimes it's not even a school, but just someone who starts up a club, and you would have one in like maybe one or two or three different districts on the island. And if you live close to that district, you probably go and practice with that club if you find yourself good enough. Mm. And that would still be like a kind of like um, after school something. But then, you know, probably more organized with that club at a specific time. And you would practice and then it would have like small little competitions. But it was not really organized by school or... Even the government, often it was just organized by people who were just fanatic about the sport and wanted to start it up, you know. And mm. later on, if the if it got enough traction and people started to like it enough, then you would get like that uh, different people in politics or the government would start to invest in it. And then you get like more teams. So for us, it was it, it wasn't really so organized. It got organized after a while when different ordinary people just like us started something mm. and they make like little competitions um amongst each other and then it got bigger and that obviously we'll speak about a bit later but i'm pretty sure if you think about it that's also helped you organize i guess the way you approach sport now you also start organizing your little groups in a weird way that maybe you haven't maybe thought about it but like or we'll get to that point specifically but you know that's the same thing. You sort of start to assemble these small groups of people to sort of pursue a certain passion. Um, but I think you've mentioned, obviously, that you've done a lot of sports. And I think um, it's one of those things that everyone tries out. I don't think, well, a lot of people maybe can say that they're fortunate or unfortunate um, to have found one sport and stuck with it for a long period of time. And maybe I think guys, or maybe it's different between guys and girls. Um, like if I look at Imola's story and a lot of her friends and stuff like, you know, they have, yes, made transitions, but a lot of them started gymnastics and gymnastics was their whole life until something happens that they have to stop and then they move to other sport. But I think with guys and just the way we are, we sort of try a few little things here and there. Um, but in terms of that, so like 
how do you find how did you actually get into so many sports that you do because i don't think you also mentioned the dancing um some people obviously might think of it as a sport or some people not as a sport but how did you let's say approach having so many different passions or um, sports that you would be interested in man to be honest from me growing up um, my uh, early days is what only it was only basketball Basketball was like my bread and butter. Uh, woke up and sl- slept thinking about basketball. And um, at a certain point, I used to play it maybe like for three, between three and five hours almost every day after school. I would hardly eat sometimes. And um, from playing like that without any kind of knowledge about what it can do to your body or any training, uh, I realized that my knees, my... Uh, my shin and everything it was it started to go bad after a couple of years and um yeah after many years we're just neglecting it and just continuing playing every time like that um yeah my body gave out and um i couldn't even bend down good anymore at a young age and my knees were hurting and i stopped i stopped for a couple of years still not seeking any professional advice and then i went to volleyball and yeah, that's a jumping sport as well. So before you know it, hey, same thing happened. <laughs> but volleyball, volleyball is a bit less taxing on the body because you don't run and up, run up and down the field. So I stuck, I stuck to it for a long time. And even though with the pain and stuff like that, and uh, yeah, I, I only was with two sports. And when, then I came to Holland and dancing, man. <laughs> Dancing was how I got outside the house. When I came to Holland, I hardly had any friends, didn't have any friends, and I, I wasn't a social person. So mm-hmm. one of the psychologists decided that he's going to put me in an activity group. Okay. And because of the activity group, I met this one guy who, give, who gave dance lessons, and he decided he wanted to help me get out of my little cocoon in Holland. And yeah, dancing helped me out because when you partner dance, you can't help but become in, uh, end up in someone else's cocoon. <laughs> uh, multiple co- cocoons uh, in a day, you can say, when you have to dance with many people. So um, that was me opening up socially. Dance became like a kind of a way for me to interact with people in Holland and not uh, continue to be a loner. And yeah in that way the same guy who introduced me to dance he was a personal trainer as well and he was like junior you look like you like my work so come and do everything with me that you want and i'll let you do it for free and man to be able to take part in dance classes and training sessions for free was to be honest a kind of gift man i don't know man i don't know who i i I like i'm not very religious but i whether it's Allah or God or whoever it was, man, that was a blessing for me because um, that that started me off on a whole path when I came to Holland, you know? Yeah. So it was almost like a exercise as a form of therapy. Definitely, definitely. Exercise, not really exercise, but more like the different disciplines like dancing or or sports in the gym or whatever, just getting to participate in those things became more like uh that was a therapy for me not the workout itself but the the ability or the gelegenheid uh, the opportunity to get to do it no i get you and i think one of the things that i realized so um my background was uh, in squash and hockey 
um, between the two, I think I started playing squash with my dad and, um, and you know, when I got to university, playing for the university first team um, and doing engineering degree, like I had to drop one, not drop one, obviously the education was the most important. So sort of played a lot less squash and played a lot more um, social hockey because the squash regiment was actually quite tough at the university. You know, we have strength and conditioning on a Monday. Tuesday was basically drills. Wednesday, you have a break. Thursday, you're playing league against another team and that's grueling and then obviously you got friday as a break saturday was another training session where we'd normally do sort of fitness tests and more conditioning and fitness and afterwards there's ice baths and all that kind of stuff and you still have to go to the gym sessions and all that kind of stuff so like when i got to my third year of university um i also started to pick up the injuries that you talk about you know the little niggles the knee problems and stuff like that and so i played hockey a lot more socially played at school but took a lot more socially when I moved from my first job to a town called Riches Bay. Like I was done with squash back by that time. I just sort of got tired of it and I just poured my life into hockey. Also played as a provincial men's hockey player. But even then, you know, not, I wouldn't say it was cut short. At some point, I realized I did not know one about nutrition. Like I was just going basically full on steam with whatever happened. You know, you go on a hockey tournament and it's McDonald's, KFC, it's, it's you know, bacon and egg sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. And it was only after one of my hockey, I won't say it was a major injury, but I just knew that. I think at that time, I, I remember I found a picture and I showed Emma that, like, there was a time where I was, I wouldn't say bodybuilding, but, like, it was in that sort of space and guest regiment where I was, like, packing on 90 kgs and, you know, you're still running on a hockey astro and stuff like that. Like, I was, I wouldn't say built, but I was big, but it was on bad dieting. And I didn't know anything about foam rolling, stretching. And it was after I got the injury, you know, I actually met someone at a swimming pool one time, another lady. She was about, I can't remember how old she was about that time, but she swam for South Africa in the older age groups. And while I was trying to swim and stuff, we started talking and then she just actually, that's where I first, one, realized about nutrition because she kept on, while she was doing a lap, she would do like three or four or five kilometers, you know, in a morning session, one hour at the swimming pool. And I was just struggling to do my 500 meters. But, you know, she was taking, you know, a lot of, I would say, I wouldn't say protein. But, yeah, one of the things she took was protein. One of the things she took was like a pre-workout for endurance during the workout. And I'd ask her questions like, what is it that you're taking? And what is it that you're doing? And why are you taking these things? And for her, she's saying that at this age, I need to do the warm-ups. I need to do the foam rolling. I need to do the stretching because my body cannot take it. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. Like, I'm at that time 23 and I'm feeling all these niggles and stuff. And she basically told me like, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you don't have to do those things because, you know, your your joints are still, I guess, fresh and um, your muscles are not as tight and you're not sitting at a desk the whole day. But the thing is, when you start doing that, sit at a desk whole day, now you want to go play a sport, like your glutes aren't activated. Um, you need to think about your nutrition. What have you been eating the whole day while you've been working at work? Um, and then now you obviously think that you're going to run on a field or, you know, go on a squash court and run around like you were when you were 16. You don't have that anymore. And yeah, I think that's the, the biggest thing that at the end of the day, I realized that, yeah, I guess one of the things is obviously recovery, but I think most importantly, it's food and nutrition. And I think you mentioned that your grandmom was, um, cooking for the guys that came to be play basketball at your house, right? Yeah. What kinds of food were you eating there on the island? And then I guess, what did you find when you came to the Netherlands? Um, on the islands, um, man, I don't know if you ever watched like um, American black um, movies. Like if you watch that, like uh, 
Medea or any kind of movie like that um, about like real black families in America, you would see like they eat like really hearty food. Like it's delicious, but you can guarantee there's a lot of fat in there. There's probably a lot of carbs in there. <laughs> and man, you're going to get a lot of meats as well. So I guess that's positive, you know. But even mm -hmm. those meats are cooked with like they call it love. I call it a lot of grease. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so man, like our food was really nice, but maybe like eight out of the ten times, you know, it would be like too much. You probably would have like macaroni and rice. You know, two two carb sources in one meal, and sometimes I have like two plates. So it's like um, it was a lot and. My grandmother also was a, a cake seller, so often, like, she would have, like, leftover batter, and then she would make, like, cakes for, like, um, just leave it there for the family. And I was the biggest eater at that time until my brother came along and my sister, too. We're, my mother's children are the biggest eaters in the family, and, man, you could see it on our size. We, <laughs> we're the biggest. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, so I ate a lot. But I guess that helped me since I was sporting with basketball, like between three and five hours a day after school. Mm -hmm. um, when I came to Holland, like I told you, you know, my grandmother cooked. I, I couldn't cook. I still am not the best cook. So, man, I end up poisoning myself, giving myself food poisoning, uh, <laughs> bad cooked chicken. <laughs> yeah, man, that was horrible. My first years, man. I didn't even know I was giving myself food poison. I didn't even know you could cook chicken bad until I did it. But um, <laughs> let me see. After my first half a year, I ended up buying an oven because I decided if I just bake the chicken in the oven, the chances of me messing it up on the stove are smaller. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I think it was in my second or third year I found that that um, guy, I think it was my second year, who brought me into the dance world and with the personal training and stuff like that. And that's when I finally started to, like, started to hear about nutrition. I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is important as well. No idea what a protein is, but then I guess uh, let me look it up. And then I started YouTubing a lot because I don't like to read. Um and at a certain point, I really got into it. Now, I really got into the whole um, calorie counting. And, yeah, first I started calorie counting. And later on, I started to help people. So I realized people don't like calorie counting. So I had to learn other methods of helping people eat. But for me, myself, right now, when it comes to eating, I'm a calorie counter. Okay. Is that your nutrition philosophy? So, yes, obviously, you count calories. But are you... Uh... You know, I know at one point in time you were experimenting with veganism and um, I think there's obviously paleo. There's a lot of things out there. But what is your nutrition philosophy then? Um, my own philosophy, like um, all of those, um, uh, I don't know what to call them. Fab, yeah, pretty um, fab uh, diet forms such as um, paleo and stuff like that. They're really well known. Uh, eating forms and I don't follow any because I believe that uh, they all can work depending on your um, on your goals mm. on your own goals I don't believe that one is uh, wrong or 
bad for you or whatever, but um, I believe that when it comes to gaining weight or losing weight, it's about uh, calories in versus calories out. And sure, certain foods are, your, your body has more trouble um, burning them off, so you burn more calories to eat certain foods, but that's still a part of the sum of calories in versus calories out. And um, let me see. And for the rest, um, when it comes to like my experimenting with veganism or with um, vegetarian, it was more because of watching all those videos, man, of like the animals dying and stuff. It was more like an ethical something that I'm like, I hope one day to just build off slowly from eating so much um, animal products just because of the ethical thought behind of it. Yeah. No, um, I think in terms of the whole diet thing, like, you know, uh, Imola and I also, we tried vegetarian for, um, you know, I think it was 60 days or 58 days, just short of two months. And I know, as you say, that everything works, but some people need, just need to know where they are on the whole scale. Like, you know, I think for, for her, she she really struggled with in terms of keeping up energy. Um, also her iron levels really, really dropped. And obviously that's something that I guess you would get from a protein source. Yes, yeah, she, I eventually did start taking supplementation for it, but it was just something that we realized one in terms of me, I did not enjoy it as much. It did make me eat a lot more vegetables, hundred percent. Um, but as you say, like I thought that, uh, definitely there should be a balance, more of a balance. So, you know, in terms of eating more vegetables instead of um fries definitely you know the thing is that technically speaking fries are still vegan or vegetarian but the thing is that you can't base your diet basically on fries just because it's you know non-meat or anything like that you still have to base it off of salads and the thing is that how much salad are you willing to eat what else can you put inside there are you making sure you still got your enough proteins and all your other micronutrients not only just macros themselves but um, your micronutrients and no i think we've experimented with calorie counting as well um not as successfully because I think it's just a tedious process specifically for me, as you mentioned, like a lot of people that you spoke to, it was, it was quite a struggle. So I think everyone knows if you're going to do calorie counting, my fitness pal, you're going to be scanning bar barcodes, you're going to be weighing your meat and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I guess if you've got the time to do it, great, but geez, <laughs> that was a, a bit of a struggle. Um, but what's your, your, um, your calorie intake looking like a day. So how much are you eating and how much are you trying to burn off? Or is it sort of a rough estimate around somewhere? Um, well, as far as calorie counting goes, um, I don't believe that anybody can track it to the T down to the letter. I yeah. find it's impossible. So what I do is, um, I count calories for, um, the bigger stuff like, um, Fruits like bananas and stuff like that, I count the calories, but weird enough, if I eat a kiwi, I don't really always count the calorie because kiwis, oranges and stuff like that, I even though they have calories, I simply don't count them. And I think as long as I keep that um, consequence with that, mm -hmm. then I can track it still, you know, as long as I don't count it one day and don't count it the next day. Yeah. Um, but right now I am at... Um, 2,400 calories uh, a day mm. and that also doesn't go perfect so sometimes I'm at 2,500 
Uh, weekends, sometimes I get up to 2.6, but, um, you know, 2,400 is my um, is my goal right now. Um, and, yeah, I track it. I track it and weigh my food, like you say. And uh, sometimes I try to eyeball it and estimate if I don't have a, a, um, a kitchen scale around me. And yeah, I try to keep up that um, half a half a half a kilogram a, a week um, direction, losing half a kilogram a week. Sorry. Oh, okay. And what's your opinion on dieting, or let's say these fab diets that sort of they say yeah lose to lose so many kgs in three weeks or a month and. You know. <laughs> <laughs> man i find my personal opinion is that um the word diet is a bad thing so if you see something saying diet i i i stay away from it because if you lose something in um if you lose a lot of calories and a, a lot of weight in three um in three weeks i hope that there's some kind of program to help you with after those three weeks because you're going to need help after those three weeks if you go into something so intense that you lose that kind of weight that quick mm. yeah you're gonna have you're gonna need a coach who's like really good to tell you okay this is the way to get back to a normal healthy way of eating or else you're gonna just pick up your old eating habits and that that those that weight is gonna probably come on like even quicker or um it might even get to a higher weight, you know. So, mm. yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't trust the the fab diets. Not because I don't think in certain situations they can't work, because I think they can work if you have a good um, post diet um, coaching strategy or whatever. But that is definitely essential; is needed. Mm. Yeah. And I think one thing that eventually, because I've also experimented, I guess, with, you know, picking up weight and losing weight. There was a time I experimented with picking up weight and that was just, as you say, calories, you know, um, stack on the chicken breast and the rice and eat six meals a day <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And then now the thing is that it's not that it's a bad thing, but like it's fun sometimes, I guess, depending on what you're eating. It's fun sometimes packing on weight, but when you want to lose it, it becomes difficult, especially if your body's adjusted to that. And I think as you're saying now, what you're trying to summarize it, if I can summarize what you're saying, it's about it has to be more of a lifestyle than a one-time event. How do you keep it going afterwards? Most definitely. Um, me, myself, I always encourage people to not go for a quote-unquote diet, but exactly a, a lifestyle uh, change. So any uh, a diet also is mostly like they tell you eat chicken breast uh, rice and broccoli and stuff like that i don't believe in that either i really believe that people should take if if you're going to coach somebody or help someone in the food watch at what they like to eat at this moment mm. and try and help that person to uh get a healthy balance with the foods that they're accustomed of eating because then you know that if you can help them with something that they're already accustomed to the chances of them sticking to the new way of eating is a lot higher because it's not something totally extreme or way far off from what they're accustomed of doing yeah no 100 percent agree 
But even with that, are there some sort of foods that you find really hard to resist? And as you say, there's sometimes in the weekend it goes to 2.7 and some days 2.6. So what are those little extra things that you you know you shouldn't be eating, but you sort of do? <laughs> um, man, ta. for me, for me, I would say um, as a general line, um, I would tell people to try and stay away from foods that they're addicted to. Mm. For me, I'm addicted to cookies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I know, like, having a little cheat, I, I'm totally for having a little cheat. If it's stuff like, for me, like a piece of cake or something like that, after I eat it, I can put it down. But when I eat, if you, if you bring me, like, one of those cookies with like the filling in the middle mm. man do not leave a pack around me because the chances <laughs> are the whole pack will be finished before the end of the day and then we're talking about like thousands of calories just from one pack of cookies you know and yeah. i am notorious for that man i'm notorious for finishing packs of cookies day after day if i continue having them in my house so that's the kind of stuff i tell people stay away from from the things that you know that not just that you like, but you're addicted to. And when I say now I eat like a bit more in the weekend, it's because maybe like I eat, a, uh, like la la yesterday I ate a, um, a pizza. It was a pizza with um, cauliflower um, crust. Okay. So it wasn't that much over. I mean, if it was regular crust, it probably wouldn't have been only six, uh, 2,600 calories or a bit more. But, you know, then I topped it with uh, like a lot of cheese and a lot of... Um, all the delicious stuff next to paprika and greens and stuff. But, you know, that that adds on calories. Mm. No, for me, it's... So, I've also got a thing with cookies, like you. <laughs> but more often, I find myself getting chocolate. Like, I am better with cookies. The thing is that it it is one of those days, like, you know, when you just got one of those bad days or you want to go on a binge... I know automatically go get cookies, but in general, I do not get cookies because as you say, I cannot have that thing of, okay, fine. Let me have cookies around the house. I'll only eat one a day. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> I have tried it. You know, there are times where I'm like, okay, cool. Like I need to get my shape back in order. And I know, as you say, there's no, there is a point where you have to tell yourself, okay, fine. And you will have the two. And then, you know, another situation comes there, like it's not time for dinner yet or, or like you have to prep something. You're like, oh, one more won't hurt. Or you go do a hard workout, you get back and you're like, I've worked it off. I can add two because I've worked it off or something <laughs> like that. Like, there's always a reason to go 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 open the packet and get something else. Um, the same can be said with chocolate because like, you know, um, in South Africa, we obviously, we don't cycle as much as you guys. We don't drive as, we don't walk as much as you guys because, yeah, that's just not on <laughs> in terms of safety, depending where you stay. So if I go drive to a supermarket or a, a shop, I'll be like, okay, I know I'm going to eat chocolate. I want chocolate. So let me buy a slab, a big one, and then I'll just break it or keep it in the fridge. That doesn't work either. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the thing is that I haven't denied myself the opportunity to get chocolate. But if I'm going to go get chocolate, I need to get a small one now. And just say, yes, for today, since it's such a mission to go to town, for today, I've got my little piece of chocolate. I'm going to enjoy it. And that's about it. I cannot, as you say, buy a packet of these evil things and keep it to the side and say, <laughs> you know, I'll be good and disciplined and I will not go touch them. That doesn't work. Even, 
you know, Imola, her parents know it, she knows it as well. Like if there are cookies in the house or there's waffles or there's something sweet, chips, whatever, yeah, something that is not good for me. If it's in the house, I'm going towards that little cupboard. And you always know that it, that I was there because I've got a bad habit of leaving cupboards open. But <laughs> so you can even ask Imola, like, you know, she knows I've been to the sweetie jar because like wherever it is, she's hidden it. The cupboard's still open after I'm there. I leave evidence, which is, I guess, one of the, the things that gives it away. But I have got to that point now where I'm like, okay, fine. If I do want one, yes, you can have it, but make sure it's small. Don't get the whole packet. Don't get the extra large. Don't get anything. And I think that's also another way for people to maybe manage their, not diet, their lifestyles to say, doesn't mean don't go to McD's. Just when you go to McD's, you can have a little burger, a small packet of chips, not the fries and the large Coke and everything else. Like, yeah, treat yourself once in a while, but don't overindulge in that. I agree 100%. I think everything is, um, you know, balance is the key to everything. And man, you 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 um you described it perfectly, man. Like I I thought I was living through your words just now. It's like uh, <laughs> I could see myself uh, back in everything, and um, you know, uh, right now here as well with my girlfriend at home is like um, she, her cupboard is always filled with sweet stuff. Mm. When I'm home in my own house, you know, you don't come across sweet stuff. The sweet stuff you'll find is like my fruit basket. And here, I have to make it a point to always have her fruit basket full because if the urge comes and that, that closet, her cookie closet starts calling at me, then I grab fruit and sometimes she looks at me and she's like, oh, a next apple. And I'm like, no, just leave me alone. You know, I'm eating, <laughs> I prefer to eat a next apple instead of go back to the closet and grab a cookie, you know. Why do you have these cookies around here? And um. You know, and that's that balance that you always try to find. And I failed many times. It doesn't always go that way that I grabbed the apple. You know, I failed. But um, like you said, that that balance to like keep it small is very important. And once in a while to treat yourself. Yeah. But in terms of obviously your goal at the moment is weight loss. And I, I have also seen um, you through different stages and not to say that i have seen you a lot of the times i think obviously the first time i met you in uh it was what august last year was it last year or the previous year actually no august last year um i think you were a bit smaller when i saw you in december um a lot bigger <laughs> <laughs> not in a bad way but yeah you know you weren't as <laughs> and definitely now when i've checked up on instagram and when i see you again i'm pretty sure I am seeing that you are obviously dropping down in weight. And I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, you started taking, I guess, nutrition a lot more seriously. But what exactly made you start taking a lot more seriously? Um wow, that's a good question. Um you're right. Like at the moment now I'm dropping weight again and my plan is to stay at a leaner body fat percentage from now on. So hopefully next time you see me, I'll still be at a low body fat percentage, keep to my word. But um, the reason that I started dropping down is because of um, also starting to take my um, professional life more seriously. Uh, yeah, I started to realize, you know, I, I love working in the fitness. And if I want to continue making something of myself in the fitness industry, I have to become a walking uh, example of what I preach. Mm 
so so yeah uh, at a certain point you know i started to take my calorie counting seriously but on the other side i also start to take more seriously how to lose weight without just calorie counting you know and um yeah i'm starting to really use myself as well as a as a um, testing dummy so mm. in that way i keep myself honest i keep myself um i have a reason to cut down weight and to stay there so i guess that's the reason that nutrition became such a important uh factor mm. yeah yeah and i think that's the same thing as you probably it will be your motivation because i think that is also one of the biggest factors for people to lose weight or gain weight or to get into shape or get their health in order because there's negative ones you know some people get to the point where you know they either become diabetic or they get to they do their evaluation and the doctor says well you can't carry on living like this it's going to kill you and you know hey all of a sudden things that he thought or she thought that they were never able to do they start doing it because they've got this I guess external motivation but I'm guessing for you now it's more internal um, because I think in terms of just I think we've had a lot of conversations about marketing and stuff like that yes anyone can try sell any product and you know the thing is that you can sell something that you obviously don't believe in or haven't tested to another idiot but when someone actually knows what they're doing <laughs> when someone knows what they're doing it's going to be very hard to make that sale and I'm not saying that um, what do you call it it is a bad strategy some people need to do what they need to do I guess but the first thing for me specifically when I see someone um, when something is being advertised to me is one to say well do you stand by what you're preaching do you use it yourself you know are you are you that person which is just trying to make a quick buck or actually really trying to tell me that hey this thing's going to change your life and it's actually something that is passionate and yeah, if it comes to you, I did always see it when I used to gym in one of the other cities, you know, there were personal trainers that, geez, like, I think anyone off the street looked better than them. Yes, mate, they might have had the knowledge, but the thing is that this guy is overweight and he's not eating the right foods and stuff like that. And you have to go there and try listen to this guy telling you to sort of, yeah, keep on doing your push-ups, keep doing your bench press or something, whatever you call it, like like that. And it was never me and fine. There were some people which were like that he was able to convince a con into, I guess, <laughs> taking him as a personal trainer. But I just look at this guy and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know what advice you're giving me because you're obviously not implementing it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, to be honest, I see like a lot of, um, okay, let me watch my words really carefully because as you know, <laughs> <laughs> as you know, like, um, right now I'm giving like, boot camps, I give one-on-one um, -on -one trainings, and I also am a distributor, a distributor of um, Herbalife products. And yeah. one of the reasons that, one of the things that I see around me is like other people who work in the same business, they, um, they are pretty good at talking. They have a strength of talking and convincing people and stuff like that, and they're very successful in that way. And I realized that um, everybody has to choose a certain road to go on and certain people, I think he might, that person might get clients that I wouldn't even be able to get, you know, because probably mm -hmm. that person needed somebody who can just convince them, con them into, uh, doing whatever 
maybe they need it at that point in time because you know sometimes these people really do get help from these trainers who do not practice what they preach um but i thought like for me myself it was very important for me not even for the people that i help but for me as um for my conscience for who i am as a person to um not be the person trying to convince people but to be the person that you know just practices what i preach mm-hmm. and help people who feel um who feel sympathetic to what i'm doing who have some kind of affinity to what i'm doing and feel like man what you're doing really motivates me i want to motivate people you know and if i yeah. don't motivate a certain person then i guess it wasn't meant for me and that person to cross paths in that way but the people who i do motivate you know I'm open for them and then they can come and they can join my boot camps. They can come for dancing or one-on-one trainings or even for advice with um, nutrition. And with that, I think you obviously mentioned that you started boot camps Zwolle and what was your aim or goal? I know obviously for you, you said now this journey that you have started is personal and, but also at the same time, what motivated you, I guess, outside of it being personal to say, well, let me start something. Um, and name it bootcamp Zola. So what is the aim or goal and, you know, what exactly makes it really unique or different to, let's say, you know, getting a personal trainer at the gym or going to some other bootcamp and just whatever everyone else has to offer, you know, the other scam, art, not the other, but the scam artists that are out there, you know? Um, let me see. I think, uh, the reason that I started is because like, Hey, you know, let's start boot camps and why boot camps instead of like other stuff is because of community. I find like with boot camps, um, when people come around each other, they motivate each other as well. And and let's let's also say personal training is very expensive. So mm. boot camps is also a way to make it um, friendly for, let's say, your clients pockets. Mm. And also it uh, keeps uh, as a trainer, your hour fee um, reasonable. And you also get to sort of impart your philosophy onto, I guess, other people. Cause um, I think it's, it's, I think Emil and I always talk about it in terms of just big organizations in general, you know, um, one thing that, so something on, I want to say on the side, or one of the things that have been interesting me a lot is obviously the investment world. And one of the things where I have been learning specifically, they talk about at the end of the day, investment is putting money into some sort of business. So what is a proper business that people would like to invest in? And, you know, I think one thing I have seen with it, because, you know, I have been on both sides where um, I have worked for a company, which is huge. And it's obviously listed, let's say on the stock exchange or something like that. And there were times where I did not understand because on the inside, I felt like, well, what is the real purpose of this company? But I think sometimes when an organization gets too big, in an example for either the one that you're working for or another one that gets, I guess, to a point where they can put themselves in the stock market, it then becomes about the shareholder and the profits because at the end of the day, you know, you have to pay the employees. So your first duty, obviously, as a businessman at first, it becomes for you to obviously make sure that you've got the freedom and you get to dictate anything. The first time you put an employee there, it then becomes about the employee, then you. 
you know, you always come to the bottom of the, the food chain at the end of the day because you have to make sure that your employee gets paid because they are starting their life and starting families and, you know, leaving safe situations to come work from you for you. After you got your first employee, then becomes the um, you'll get the the first customer, you know, then the first customer comes first, because if you're not getting money from that customer, you can't pay the employee, you can't pay yourself. And then when you've got the customer, it becomes all the people that have external people that have put money into the, into the business, you know, because yeah, they also become important because they want sort of returns. So if you take a, a loan or something like that, like you have to make sure you're paying that guy his loan back, you know, or an investor who's putting in money, you have to make sure you put them back. And that's what happens with big organizations where it becomes, I won't say too dictated, but the thing is that they have to base everything on the shareholders, the people that have put money into the business, because at the end of the day, they have the choice and freedom to put their money elsewhere where they're going to get interest back on it, right? And sometimes that person who's put the money inside, his priority is to get his money back, not on the goals and the vision of the person that founded who might be to say, well, my goal and vision is to try sort of make a place which is, you know, good for people to learn and have this opportunity to, um, you know, reach their fitness goals. The goal shifts automatically as soon as you start putting more people into the business. Um, so when you start as a person, you'll be like, one, I want financial freedom and I want to be my own boss. Then when an employee comes in, the goal becomes, yes, I want to do those things, plus I must make a salary. When the customer comes in to say, yeah, okay, now I need to, uh, what do you call it, put something that people are going to pay and also make sure that my employees get paid and then, myself first and then you always going to be lost and i think that's what happens i guess with the big organizations eventually gets to a point where it becomes more about the the choices to make more money so obviously i've spoken to you know emil about some of the frustrations that she's seen at many companies that she's done and even myself where i worked before where i worked for a company which was you know listed on so many stock exchanges and those decisions were always money-based and you sort of say well what about the people and stuff like that but unfortunately is how the business model works at the end of the day you know um but i think the beauty of it as you saying now is that you've come to a place where you're saying well you're passionate about it and you don't want it to be about the money yes money is obviously a good thing about it you want to get paid for what you do there is value to the lives that you are are improving but at the same time, also not to lose sight of that. And that's what's really cool and important about what you're doing. I think that is very commendable. Thanks, man. I um, Now, like with the last thing that you just said, I mean, that actually had a big impact on me because um, now thinking, uh, now if I reflect my own thoughts upon what you just said, I'm like, you know, I don't want to end up falling into that category eventually. So I... I, al I always said to myself, I, I don't have to become rich, you could say. I, I am really just happy with, um, you know, just being able to live comfortably. Mm. And, and in that sense, it, it also helps me to realize that um, I don't think my own goal indeed is to have like a, a big business with, uh, with at least not too many employees maybe if i if it gets any bigger and i have one or two i think that would be like a a beautiful place um to be because then if you go on vacation you know somebody can take over it doesn't mean that it just stops but it does it's not like so big that you lose track of why you started and just be totally swallowed up in the fact that 
you have to pay shareholders, you have to pay investors, you have to pay your employees, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But you just, uh, I, I'm really a fan of the small business model, even though it, it takes more work because the bigger your business is, the more you can just put it out your hands if you're lucky. You might be getting paid for doing nothing at a certain point, you know, just getting all your employees to work for you. But I don't think I ever want to do that. I think I want to always be um, at the front of the line working and doing what I uh, what I'm passionate about until the very end, you know, because um, I think for me, it's really just about being able to do the thing that I feel like I love every day or as much days as possible. Yeah. So in terms of you and your personal brand going forward and the things as Julian as himself would offer, what is what is it that you're offering people? Obviously, I know you've mentioned bootcamp. What else are you offering people and how do they get in contact with you? Um, what I'm offering right now is um, bootcamps, small group trainings and one-on-one -on -one trainings. Um, I am right now busy with my website, so um, it's not finished yet. They can always get in contact with me through um, my phone number, uh, email, or my um, or my social media, whether it be a DM on Facebook or a personal message on, I mean, a DM on Instagram or a personal message on Facebook. Um, I also offer um, help with um, nutrition and herbal life and stuff like that, but that all that kind of stuff will be coming later because it's a new business and I'm first focusing on just like the boot camps and helping people to see like you know fun and fitness don't have mm -hmm. to be opposites um, mm -hmm. so just come into a fit community and uh, come and enjoy some boot camps whether it be in the rain snow or in the sun um, <laughs> and eventually when my site is finished I hope to just like um how do you say beat on beat on i want to um 18 he was on beta sorry <laughs> <laughs> i want to uh huh? i want to offer people yeah offer what a simple word but um <laughs> i want to offer people a place and a chance to just get fit and healthy so i want to end up helping people just to achieve their own goals, whether it be to uh, gain some lean weight, uh, feel healthier, start moving more, or lose weight. I just want to help people to feel fit and healthy in their own body, regardless of what that means for that person. And eventually, of course, I'm going to start dancing again. So uh, that's also going to come into it. But thanks very much for that. Oh, no problem, man. It was very in, uh, enlightening for me as well. Uh, very fun to do, actually. <laughs>